Who's the greatest leader that you encountered when you were in the Navy? Ed Bruner. Tell me about him. He was my senior chief, and uh, he pretty much just, I mean, the term was sea daddy. He just took me under his wing, and I messed up a lot when I was in because I was that age or whatever and super defiant, but he saw something in me, and every time he stood up for me, it just made me work 10 times harder for him, and uh, if I could track him down, I would thank him for, you know, saving my ass, because I try to get myself in self-destructive trouble all the time, and and he, you know, he'd take me aside and kind of slap me around, be like, dude, you, I know you're better than this, like, and so just him as a senior chief, taking time out of his day to give a damn about me made a huge difference. Yeah. These are stories of outdoor adventure and expert advice from folks with calloused hands. I'm James Nash, and this is the Six Ranch Podcast. A hot drink can become cool in two primary ways, through conduction and convection. Conduction occurs when two objects touch each other. Imagine holding a piece of ice. Before long, your fingers are cold and the ice begins to melt. That's conduction. Convection occurs when a gas or liquid moves from being different temperatures. When you heat water over a stove, the warm water moves up and the cool water moves down. That's what you're seeing when water boils, and that's convection. A stainless vacuum bottle prevents conduction from occurring by creating a void between the walls of the bottle, thermos, or cup and the outside air. It prevents convection by keeping all the liquid inside at the same temperature. That's how a Stanley product keeps your cold drink cold and your hot drink hot. And they've been doing it for 110 years. The Six Ranch Podcast is brought to you by Stanley 1913, and you can check out their new and classic line of products at stanley1913.com. Trying to cook eggs the same way you talked about it. And I have two eggs for breakfast every day. I eat all the whites all the way around. Mm. And then if I can get the yolk <laughs> without busting it on both le- both eggs, so that's cooking and eating, I call it a double Lyle. Oh, nice. And that's the start to a good day. <laughs> what did you have for breakfast? Oh, uh, bacon, eggs, and pancakes with the kids. Nice. That's solid. Mm-hmm. Paul? I had bacon in the air fryer, and I did the old Cowboy Kent Rollins hash brown method. I'm unfamiliar. So you shred them up, shred up a potato, <clears throat> and then rinse them off really good. Rinse off your... That's critical. Ash. Yeah. If you're shredding your own spud, you got to get the starch out of it. Otherwise, it just turns into mush. Yeah. Which is okay sometimes. Yeah. You, lo- the... you like mushy hash browns? Oh, yeah. On the river, I do once in a while. All right. Anyway. And then I take a salad spinner and just get all that moisture out of it. Take a towel and just pat it down as good as you can. Then you take some ghee and fry them up hot. A little bit of Johnny's or whatever you want. That's the best damn hash brown ever. Huh. I like that. I've tried, I don't know how many times, to cook bacon first and then cook hash around some bacon grease. Mm-hmm. Well, the theory's there. I've never gotten it to work out right. Yeah. Try that ghee method, man. Yeah. I don't have, 
I don't think I have any ghee. For some reason, I don't know. I guess it just turns out like the crispiest I've ever had. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Lyle, how do you feel about hash browns? Um, I can't cook worth a damn. (laughs) (laughs) So if they're not from the cafe, they're probably mushy. Have you seen the ones that come in the little, uh, looks like a little tiny milk carton? Mm. Those are a good piece of gear okay. for the for backcountry stuff. Yeah. or Not that you have to deal with that all that often, but they don't weigh hardly anything. And uh, all you got to do is pour boiling water into them. All right, yeah. And, uh, and wait a few. And they're a pretty good little hash brown. Hash brown on the go. What's new with you fellas? Well, I'm back to work, so that's good. Sitting yeah. around for three months. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I have never actually heard like the the play by play. It's how, it's not glorious. Of how it went down. It's not. I don't even have a good story this time. Yeah. It's, it's a simple fall. But sitting around for sitting around for three months is uh, is something else. It's it's something I'd never thought I'd do again. Yeah. It's like if this is what retirement is like. I'm gonna have to find something to keep me freaking busy because oh, it was it yeah, was absolutely well. Granted, it was middle of the winter time too. But even if it hadn't been, I mean, I was still pretty immobile. So yeah. it's good to be back and normal and back out in the community. Yeah. So you broke your foot. Broke my foot. Had surgery. And yeah, I've been back for a few weeks, so everything's going good. Learned that uh, trying to kick snow off my foot, especially my right one where that plate is. It's a really bad idea. I found that out the hard way. Oh, like <laughs> like when you're getting in your rig, like kicking a step oh, to knock all this bang stuff off. your foot <laughs> on the yeah. Oh man, that was an oversight. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> uh, yeah. Has the cold been affecting it? So I went fishing with Dad down in Troy. Yeah, and we were out there wading. I took a temp, and it was 33 degrees, and uh, water temp. And man, usually I can last out there quite a while. Hmm. But the right side of my foot where that plate is. Yeah. Oh, you can just feel it in there aching. Oh, really? man. Yeah, yeah. So I can, I do have the option to get that removed later on in the year if I want. But. I'm going to be building some um, some fence around this this little five-acre lot. And I want to use woven wire fence so that the whole place is the dog fence, right? And I was researching woven wire because there's a bunch of different brands. It's all expensive. My God. And, you know what? We're looking at like $270 for a 330-foot section of just the wire. So, you know, fences are freaking expensive. But anyways, I was looking at this red brand, which is, you know, what everybody says is the best brand of woven wire. And it has these little kinks in the top and bottom strand. And the reason that it has that is because it expands with heat and it contracts with cold. So they build that into it like a spring. Hmm. A lot of people fence in the summertime when it's warm. If you build a tight fence in the summer and then that winter your your wire shrinks, it's going to pull down your posts. Yeah. So smart. I, I don't think I would have ever thought of that. I would have just been like, ah, oh, wind, snow, I don't know, mm-hmm. aliens. What what brought up the uh, thinking about a fence? Um, I was thinking about the metal expanding oh, and contracting inside his foot. You know, if it's if like, why would it ache? That's what right. I was thinking about because mm-hmm. it does. I know I know that to be true, but why would that happen? I was like, well, maybe it's shrinking. Could I haven't be. experienced it. I got a titanium elbow. And oh, you do. I'm assuming that it's wrapped in enough meat 
that it doesn't get <laughs> cold enough to bother me, but I've I've never had it bother me with the cold. I could just feel it in there, like, radiating cold, yeah. you know, like throbbing. Well, and there's just not a lot of coverage on your foot. Right I mean, mine's outside. in the middle of my elbow. There's, you know. Mm -hmm. You ever drop bombs with that thing? Well, the it's not this part. <laughs> <laughs> it's the inside one. <laughs> How did you end up with a titanium elbow? Uh, I had a little dirt bike accident. Oh. When I uh, 2000, 2004 uh -huh. and uh, shattered that thing, and the the uh, odd thing is they put a they put a big plate here, and then. It was shattered in six places. They put a plate there to put it all back together. Well, about eight months later, there was this weird growth, like kind of trying to grow out of the side of my elbow. Oh, and, I mean? Uh, yeah. And I I could grab my wrist and I could, you know, there was some play in my, <clears throat> in my arm. And from being a mechanic, I figured that wasn't right because the front, you yeah. know, your front end's not supposed Linkages to have play. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I went to an, an outside doctor and, uh, the radial head wasn't actually attached to my elbow. It was just floating around in there. And it was so deformed from trying to um, grow to what it was supposed to grow to that it started growing out the side of my arm. So they chopped the radial head off and stuck basically a titanium doorknob on there. And it's been amazing ever since. Huh. But it was a mess to begin with. I couldn't do push-ups, pull-ups, or anything for a while. What a time to be alive. Whew, yeah. That something like that's even possible. Oh, that could have immobilized me for the rest of my life for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We're in a really narrow window for it too. You know, you don't have to dial the calendar back very far before oh, it's yeah. like, oh, I don't know. You want to amputate it? I was lucky I was in California. Really? And not in a more rural place. Yeah. Like I had some experimental nerve surgery done and got feeling back in my hand and uh with that like i mean in a less sophisticated operation i could have been it could have really messed with my life did the navy do it for you yep yeah josh had uh had a hernia i think he developed during either boot camp or one of his swim schools or something like that and he had to get surgery on it and he woke up, and they'd done surgery on the wrong spot. Get out of here. So he had to take what? a marker and draw a circle around it, and they had to go back and do it again. That's insane. <sighs> Naval medicine voice. Ouch. Well, yeah. that's it, naval medicine. I go into the doctor, and I'm like, hey, this this elbow's loose. It ain't hooked up. Something's wrong. <laughs> and... uh he takes a look at it, tells me it's all fine and everything. Well, come to find out, he's a dermatologist. So, yeah, from the outside, it looks great. He but, was just uh, standing duty yeah. on surgery day. <laughs> Something on the inside ain't right. Jesus. That's such a Lyle story, too. It would happen to you. Man. Yeah, it would happen to Lyle. Yeah. That's pretty funny. So if you're in the service, what's the best branch to be in if you have to have surgery? I would assume the Air Force. So would I. Yeah. But I don't know. And then there's also a mixed bag too, right? There's some there's some naval medical officers who are wonderful. I bet. Yeah. Really wonderful. 
and I think it depends, you know, just on the individuals. Just like out here in the civilian world, you you found a doctor that you really like, and you mm-hmm. found other doctors that you don't. Mm-hmm. So I I think it just comes down to the individual a little bit, but it's also like it's low hanging fruit. So it's something that we can make fun of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you you think it should be good because it's military, but that's just not how things go in the military. Mil spec isn't necessarily a great thing. Yeah. I think it is going to be very interesting when these Abrams man battle tanks get to Ukraine. Because they're talking about like six months for them to get over there. Right. So that's a long push. That tells me that, uh, that they're working on them. They're either part swapping or, you know, <laughs> they're in, they're in dermo right now and they're trying to get them yeah. running. Oh God. Or, or they're taking stuff out of them that they don't want the Russians to end up sure. with their hands on, you know, changing, changing out armor or tech. Right. Um, cause there's a very real chance that, you know, if they do end up seeing the battlefield that it doesn't go well. Yeah. And we don't want, you know, the, you know. Russians to necessarily know the ins and outs of the Abrams because mm-hmm. they're still using them. But gosh, we, you know, I trained for almost two years before I ever operated a tank inside the fleet. And my first day in the fleet after all that training, I felt like a child trying to solve a Rubik's cube. I was so lost. And I had this, uh, this platoon sergeant, he was kind of abusive. He hated officers. Um, he just wanted to retire. The guy was a dick. And I was humble. I I just needed help. And he was one of the, like, throw you to the wolves kind of guys. And I'm not going to back down from that. But it also wasn't a great start to, like, how you look in front of your platoon and shit like that. It was definitely setting me up for failure. The, the point that I'm trying to make is I think it's going to be really interesting when these tanks get over there you know who knows what the war is going to look like at that point and then to train these dudes up train up ukrainians put them inside of a new vehicle and expect them to be able to operate in you know really serious conventional warfare against other tanks it's a big ask yeah we averaged like 10 hours of maintenance for every hour of use um sometimes it was a lot higher than that how does that compare to like fighter jets as I, far as I, I hours w- versus use? I would think that it's similar. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't, I didn't know any mechanics that worked on airplanes because the air wing of the Marine Corps is different from ground forces and they have their own bases um, or sections within a base. So I really didn't interact with, with those guys very much. So the guys that I talked to were pilots and uh, they were, you know, largely I don't know if this is even fair, but it seemed like they were largely unaware of what it took to make sure that their aircraft was functional. And there's lots of jokes about pilots taking uh, credit for everything that goes right and then blaming the mechanics for everything that's broken. Um, But I imagine that there was a huge, huge amount of maintenance. I do know that it was normal for, you know, a large percentage, um, not a majority, but still a very significant percentage of any aircraft fleet to be not working at any given time and tanks was similar you know we would expect 10 to 20 percent of our fleet to be not functional at any given time but what's that like 
what's the maintenance cycle like for you guys? <laughs> well, like, do your rigs pretty much work, or is it just a constant problem because you're using them so much and so hard? Well, they do now, um, mainly because we have a sergeant who is all over that stuff at the moment. Um, he gets so excited about vehicle maintenance. I, it's unbelievable. He wants our rigs to be detailed once a year now. And it's like, well, we work in Wallowa County. That's a big job and a lot of, <laughs> that's a big ask for anybody to do. I mean, yeah, you're, I, I do a pretty good job, but I'm trying to keep mine clean. But uh, yeah, you just get a lot of mud and grime and everything else inside, outside your rig. And, uh, we try to get them in every 5,000, especially the new ones we have, every 5,000 for all your stuff. And I'm sure that he's taken over that whole thing now. We'll be in there for everything right on the money for tranny and whatever else needs to be done. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you got to keep them running. You've got to keep them in good order because, you, as we all know around here, I mean, you might be out in the middle of nowhere and trying to get somebody some help. And if your rig fails, there's a long period of time before somebody's coming behind you so yeah. you kind of owe it to the community to keep your your stuff up and running good and i certainly appreciate what he's been doing with that yeah now good on him i'm sure lyle you're in the same boat but like there's a constant fear that i have that a rig is going to leave me stranded someplace out here because the consequences of that are massive oh yeah i mean you want to have a relaxing weekend, take the kids to Anthony Lakes, and you got, you know, three kids, and weather's definitely not your friend yeah. this time of year, and uh, all it could take is a bad battery, and you leave a little late from the ski run, and there you sit with three kids, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, so yeah, you got to hope your, hope your stuff's running right for sure. Or worse, you know, get out in the hills someplace and it snows a little bit, you know. Yeah. Get out the wrong tires on and mm -hmm. be like, no, it wasn't snowing when I left. Like, yeah. <laughs> fine. Yeah. Uh, aren't these glasses cool, Paul? You look inside this I'm thing? digging them, man. Um, so I like your guys' Hawaiian shirts, which brought up a question of mine. Oh. Uh, if you travel to Hawaii, because I've never been. Can you laugh out loud, or is it just a low ha? <laughs> that was so nice, <laughs> nice. That was a that was a solid entry into that one. It depends if you're trying to go out and look for some up dog or not. I guess. No, God, it worked you, you, so you, well. You can't do that four parties in a row. <laughs> That's, it's still getting it's people. It's dusty. I, I don't. That is a dusty <laughs> joke. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it going. Just so you know, <laughs> you can plan on it through the rest of this year. I think the the best thing to do with something like that, if it if it fails, is just to start explaining why it's funny. Yeah. Yeah. God, I got Krista so good though. That's not fair. Right after I got Montana. <laughs> 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 it was just so funny to hear Krista say, "What's up, dog?" Yeah, you know, it's the only time that'll ever come out of her mouth. And I'm, <laughs> I'm sure she was, you know, lilting and she, she was not impressed at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So speaking of Hawaiian shirt, what brand are you going with right now? Who? What's your go-to? We had this talk a while back, but just so the folks know, 
You know, I like the like the OEF Nation ones. Those are pretty great. Uh, my mom brought this back from Mexico. So this is a Mexican Hawaiian shirt. Oh. But this looks pretty Magnum PI, don't you think? Yeah, oh, I yeah. dig it, dude. Yeah. Super lightweight yeah. Magnum PI stuff. Yeah. Sure. It's got the colorful flowers on it. Um, No guns, though. No. It's a letdown. It is. <laughs> no guns, no bombs, no helicopters. But that's the rest of my shirt, so it's fine. It, it, it was a funny thing here growing up. There's, a, you know, a legendary ranching family, the the McLarens. Uh, they've been here a long time, just like my family has, and like a lot of families. Scott McLaren would wear Hawaiian shirts at events. And I thought that that was so funny, like such a funny thing to do, because everybody else was always cowboyed up. You know, they'd they'd be wearing their actual, you know, working clothes if they were out cowboying, and then they had like town cowboy clothes for, for events. But Scott would wear Hawaiian shirts both working and in town if he could get away with it nice. and uh he's such a laid-back guy and i thought this this is the goal right here like th- this is what you need to achieve is like enough enough comfort with you know everything in your situation that you can wear the hawaiian shirt i feel like i'm getting there dude anymore if i don't have a t-shirt on i have a hawaiian shirt on you just can't lose they're pretty comfortable you can't lose yeah Golf, going to the store, mm-hmm. going out for dinner. Going to the range. Going to the range. Great range shirt. Yep. Uh, fishing. Fish. Haven't done that yet. You haven't fished in a Hawaiian shirt? No, I'll give it a shot though this year. Really? We'll see what happens. Yeah, I think we should. Okay. Uh, retro rifle. Yeah, that's your brand. That's my brand. Too skinny for me, buddy. <sighs> and they're always out. They're always out of everything. Because they're a popular brand, but people buy that stuff up immediately. Well, they advertise really well, too. And they got me at least 10 times now. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're on the email list? Yeah. They're not cheap. <laughs> they fit me pretty damn good. Yeah. So it's a good conversation piece, right? Savage Tacticians, I think. They're that, pretty damn good. That's the other one that I've bought some from. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah. I think my favorite, though, is the is the Bangarang one. Because that's just so hilarious that they turned, um, you know, this peter pan pseudo villain into a skull and put it on a white shirt i am unfamiliar oh yeah. all right i'll Check show it you. out later it's in the closet yeah i'm not an insignia fan this is uh pushing it for me i noticed that i'm th- a plain i thought that that was a bit mm-hmm. bold for you yeah yeah <laughs> did you pick pick those threads up from kevin uh, yeah uh-huh yeah. did you leave them at your house yes he did yeah i like i had no choice yeah perfect but i do love it I don't think I've taken it off since he gave it to me. I'm afraid to tell you how long ago that was. Yeah, I rolled into some clean Carhartts today. They're not actually clean, but they're <laughs> they've been washed. You know how that goes with Carhartts. But the the other ones I was rocking, they're they're enough days in that they're starting to develop a personality. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed your. I don't know if it was your last one, but one of your recent ones with Greg. When he flipped the script on you. Oh, man. That was a good podcast, yeah. man. Greg's such a freaking outstanding human. I'll tell you what. I really enjoyed my time out hunting with him. Yeah? yeah. Just walking around with that guy in the woods, the stuff that maybe he's picking up on that you've been walking by your whole life, you know. I mean, being a government trapper. Yeah. yeah it's probably the ultimate teacher out there. 
Sure. <laughs> I mean, really. But I absolutely loved hanging out with him um, this year when, or this last year when we were going after some cows. Yeah. He's quite a woodsman. Yeah. Were you guys, when you hung out with him, mm-hmm. what what were you doing? We were cow hunting. Or were you uh, archery hunting? Rifle. Mm. So. Yeah. Have you ever archery hunted blindfolded? No. Oh, you don't know what you're missing. These setups, dude. <laughs> I'll win the race. I'm, I'm defenseless, you know? I've got nothing. But the neat thing about that spot where we're hunting out there is that it's so easy to get around in, right? Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, you got canyons all so- on all sides, and then it's this top, you know, kind of a plateau. And a plateau really is the highest form of flattery. <laughs> <laughs> the folks at home can see James's face right now. See how happy he is. Uh, did you do your homework? No, <laughs> I, I don't have anything. <laughs> Terrible jokes. I got. One, I'm a one trick pony. It's just get. up dog. It's up dog. <laughs> oh man. Well. That's all right. You get what you get. Uh, been uh, been smoking ribs old school all day. I was so happy to see that. I thought you were running the Traeger. Yeah. And I am running the Traeger right now. So the Traeger's got uh, duck jerky in it right now. Oh, sweet. Yeah. But, uh, man, the, the pit is a skill, especially on a cold, windy day. Like, if you can keep a pit at, you know, between 225 and 275, all day when it's blowing snow, uh, then you can freaking take on the world. Yeah, is it is it messing with your temperature when it's blowing in the uh, in the bottom of it? There is it raising the temperature like? So you've you've got like three levers to pull, and I'm not a pit master, mm-hmm. so let me start with that. But uh, I use this thing a lot when I lived in North Carolina, and then a little bit once I got back here. Um, but you know, almost everything I do is on the Traeger. But, you know, the reason that I've kept this pit around is because it's a great cooking surface if you don't have electricity. Because mm-hmm. you can still you can still bake with it. You can roast. Um, you can smoke stuff. It's a, it's a large surface. I can fit half of a hog in there. But uh, you've got a little gate down in the firebox that you can open and close to let more air in. And then you've got another um, gate on the chimney to... Okay. Let let more air ventilate through, and then how much charcoal you put on it. And as far as I know, those are the the levers that you can pull for maintaining heat and and temperature. And it's kind of a trick. Yeah, I use mine like once a year, and you definitely have to be home. Yeah, <laughs> there's no going to the store for a while. Yeah, and trying to trying to figure out your temps. I mean, the wind, yeah, like you said, the wind starts blowing a little bit. Yeah, it starts right. it's going to draw rocks. harder. Yeah. It's going to yeah. or you start dropping in ambient temperature all of a sudden your whole barrel's colder that's what's really tough yeah you know because that barrel's huge it's a big space i i don't know but i i was really happy to do it and you know it's a risk i'm cooking five five racks of ribs we got a bunch of people coming over this evening for for ribbage night sweet <laughs> oh yeah ribs nice. and cribbage yeah huh yeah ribbage that was, that was pretty close yeah, little, was, i love it yeah cribbage tournament off. over under who's uh who do you got taking it tonight? 
Well, I don't know. I don't know. It really, it's going to depend on the cards, right? You can get speed bagged on the cards. Yeah. But also, we're going to run an actual bracket, single elimination tournament on a bracket. Ooh, and we're going to be drawn for our slots. And you come up against Kirk Scovlin Ooh, right out of the gates. Yeah. If he's having a good day, you're in trouble. You are in trouble. So Fletcher's got the bug, and he needs a obviously needs a little coaching. And I'm not the cribbage master, but I told him if he gets in on the first bracket, he may he may be like that may be a good spot. He he can get in, right? Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I want to get him hooked. He already likes yeah. it, and I think it's a smart game to play. It's good for your brain, yeah. man. Um, what's what's really going to be funny tonight? is everybody that's coming is all friends and family, yeah. right? And and friends who are close enough that it's almost hard to say whether they're friends or family. Mm. Everybody loves each other, but we are all pretty competitive <laughs> humans. <laughs> you don't say. Like, everybody is undercover, extremely competitive. Is going to be here tonight. It's going to be awesome. Do you got a Grand uh, Jackson coming into town tonight? Yeah. Yeah, G Monster is uh, is inbound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, does Grant play cribbage? Oh yeah, yeah. And Heidi's nice. like serious about it, right? Okay, good. Yeah, no, Grant's pretty damn good at cribbage too. Uh, it's gonna be a problem, especially if he's wearing his glasses. I think he's on call tonight too, so he can't even get oh, a little tuned up. He's gotta, so he might be kicking our butts. Come in straight. Yeah. Huh. That's a problem. <laughs> That's all right. We'll take him down. Yeah. Sometimes you don't get the cards. You can play the best crib game out there, and if you don't get the cards, you don't win. Yeah. But, no, going to be fun. Let's do it work. Hmm. Trying to figure out how to do it again, so, like, my first day back when I put all my stuff on again. Is it that perishable? Uh, No. (laughs) Just more than anything, just wearing all that stuff around. Yeah. You know, I was like, wait. I've been hauling this around for 14 and a half years and you know you go to put it on once after being off for three months and it's just kind of a weird deal yeah you gain i don't know how much 30 or so pounds right away and right um been pretty busy god dang is that how much you pack I around i think so and i i'm pretty sure i could outrun you on a good day then oh now if you're wearing 30 pounds <laughs> i mean that's gonna slow you down yeah <laughs> i'm not outrunning anybody <laughs> In high school, we got in trouble. We got caught. We didn't actually get caught that night, but we got in trouble for egging our English teacher's house on Halloween, and we were so confused at how she caught us. Couldn't even afford to do that now. Right. Yeah. It was <laughs> right. Seven <laughs> bucks a dozen. Ten. Yeah. Ten? Ten. Good grief. Yeah. It's so almost a buck an egg. We were trying to figure out how she caught us, and she goes, listen, you idiots sit in my class all day. You're the only ones that wear Vibram sole shoes. Mm. Like, damn. Didn't think of that, did we? Yeah. <laughs> what happened? What was the result? The result mm-hmm. was um, that a really special lady of my life, Carla Eschler, said, listen, let's make a meat crow. They need to apologize, do a little work here and there. But these boys are signed up for the military. You don't want to mess that up. Like. Let's get them out of here because yeah. it was our senior year. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, 
Otherwise, we were going to get burned at the stake, I think. Because it was the fourth year we'd done it in a row. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, can you hand me that uh, McKellen 12 up there? Oh, yeah. Thank you to uh, Major William Mahone the Sixth for getting me that bottle. This is a heck of a good scotch. The Sixth. Yeah. That, damn. Yeah. And That's I think, dedication to name. And I think that they're all military officers, too. Wow. Or, or close to it. Um, when we were at the basic school, we were studying the Civil War and some of those engagements. And uh, there was a, I think it was a Captain Mahone. And uh, his name came up again. It was Captain Will Mahone. And I was sitting right next to him. You know, we're alphabetically, we're, we're mm -hmm. right there. And I was like, is that Ken of yours? And he said, oh, yeah. Wow. But, and then he had a, he had a son, too. So he's got Will Mahone the seventh on, wow. the, on the ground. Wow. Yeah. Man. So did you pick up a bunch? Did you pick up a lot of knowledge on Civil War and in all sorts of engagements in your basic? Uh, a little bit. So the, the basic school for us is, is six months long. Mm -hmm. And because Quantico is sort of in the, really the, the epicenter of, of a lot of those battles, um, it was easy to go visit battle sites. Oh yeah. Wow. And the one that I remember the most, and I think I've talked about it on the show before, but it was the battle of Chancellorsville. And it was, if I remember right, a 22, 26-mile hump, march, ruck, pick your word, hike. Uh, and on almost every hump that we did, we had people fall out. You know, 5%, 10% would fall out at some point. They'd quit. And this deal we did is like an interpretive, um, as, uh, as an interpretive hump. So... At every station, at every stopping point, a different lieutenant would step up to talk about like what was going on, like some different aspect of the battlefield. And what we we're doing was um, taking this route that I th think it was uh, General Jackson, Stonewall Jackson, um, took to flank General Joseph Hooker. And they left at night um, in the evening so that the... Uh, the South could see them leave and they, they left as if they were retreating. So the rebels, you know, rested easy that night. Um, they thought that they had won the day through maneuver and then they made this big flanking maneuver around and hit them uh, right at first light. Mm. And they fought all day long and Jackson ended up getting shot during that engagement and died a couple weeks later they think that he was probably already dying mm -hmm. of pneumonia or tuberculosis, something like that. Um, but the order was that anybody that dropped out of that march when they were doing their flanking maneuver uh, was to be bayoneted. So you can quit if you want, but quitting is permanent. We're going to stab you with the pointy end of a rifle to death if you fall out of this march. And think about, like how hard they'd been fighting, the gear that they had, the boots that they may oh, or may not have had. stuff, yeah. You know, not having the right kind of food. You what know, time of year was it, too? You extreme know? battle fatigue. I don't know that. Yeah. 
Um, and so you guys mocked their, sorry for interrupting, yeah. but you mocked their path. Yep. Like similar time of day or? I don't, I don't know. Uh, no, we did it during the day. God, we did it during the day, but powerful. they did it at night. And it was, it was, it's like you're, you're walking in, in the footsteps of a really decisive victory that changed, it changed everything. You know, it changed the whole shape of the country. Yeah. Um, And so many of those civil war battles were like that. If, if one of them had gone Mm -hmm. differently, that changes everything. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. And for a kid that grows up out here in Oregon, mm-hmm. where the Civil War is like, you know, something you learn about kind of, in school. Yeah, it's a fairy a, tale a little almost bit. when you're that young. Right. And then to go back and, like, look at the look at the field. Mm-hmm. And, and if you look at that, you can see those canvas tents out there. You can see the steam coming across and the sure. fog and the smoke. You can hear it. You can feel it. You know, there's bullets everywhere. There are still bullets everywhere. Yeah. Uh, you, you look at those those cricks and stuff, and you just find bullets. So I'm just incredible now incredible fighting. I'm just now getting fascinated with learning about <clears throat> history, and I'm in a Civil War swing right now. And now, now I have like, um, you know, people in my life like, oh, let's go visit, yeah, uh, Brazil or whatever. And mm-hmm. I'm like, did I? Don't, Let's go visit Gettysburg. Let's right. go visit something, something that is palpable to me. Like I, I want to, I want to stand where they stood. I want to see what they saw. That seems like a powerful deal. We had a really splendid leader at Second Tanks for a little while, um, named Lieutenant Colonel John Louder. And if ever there was going to be a, a tank officer who became a general, it was going to be him. He'd been an aide to the commandant previously. He could remember the names of almost everybody in the battalion, which is over a thousand men. But not only their names, but he would remember like where they're from, the names of their kids or their spouse, what sport team they rooted for. And it wasn't just because he had an incredible memory. After he talked to everybody, which is how he spent his days was going around and talking to Marines, um, he would take notes. And then at night, him and his wife would quiz through those oh, like wow. they're flashcards. <clears throat> wow. Um, because it was so important to him that he know his Marines. Yeah. What an incredible thing. And know, know your Marines and look out for, for their welfare is one of the leadership principles in the Marine Corps. Um, and easier said than done, especially oh, when you yeah. get to that level. But not long after he became the commanding officer of 2nd Tanks, he took every officer at tanks to Gettysburg on a field trip wow. um, to do a case study and to think about um, about the battlements and then also to scale it up and be like, okay, if this was larger scaled and this was a tank battle, how would it go down? Uh, I did not get to go. I was the officer that got to stay behind um, to be officer of the day. And, you know, there, there always has to be somebody to, to hold down the fort but he was an incredible guy uh and i had just a massive amount of of respect for him there's another really interesting thing that he did and this this still cracks me up to this day uh he had he'd taken over not long before i deployed 
and the plan was to draw down the Marine Corps a lot at that time. Um, and they were going to go from taking about 70% of officers, you know, we're going to be able to continue and, and promote to 30%. So massive, massive cuts. And they're calling it career designation. If you were to, you know, to make it from first lieutenant to captain, you really needed to be career designated if you were going to stay in. And that meant that you sort of had tenure, you had the ticket, you're going to be able to stay in the Marine Corps for a career if, if you know, you did your job right and felt like continuing. My plan was always to come home to, you know, to do, to do my initial contract and then to come back here to the ranch. And then, you know, I deployed, uh, and it was right after the first time that I was wounded, I'd gotten out of the hospital and I was back, um, I was back, you know, leading my platoon again, when that time came up for me to submit my package for, for career designation. And I submitted a letter uh, requesting to not be considered because there was people that wanted it more. And uh, one of the just funniest things is what came back was that I got career designated. And there's guys that desperately wanted it that that didn't get it, right? And I talked to Colonel Lauder about it later on. And he's like, look, the way the way I was seeing it, you're in combat, like you'd just gotten hurt, you just lost a Marine, uh, some of your other Marines had just been hurt, like you're you're in a weird place, but you're still doing your job at the level that I expected, which is not for him to say, good job, it's like, you're meeting my expectations, like you're getting a C, and, uh, and that was good enough uh, for him to s- go to that career designation board tell them to disregard my letter to not be considered. <laughs> but what an incredible guy. You know, he could ask me for anything after that and I would do it. And even just knowing the troops' names was enough that like they would break themselves for anything that he needed. It's an important thing. He yep. wanted to push you. Yeah. You know, and we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago on the Smoke Jumper episode, we were talking about the Man Gulch fire. And one of the primary reasons that that Dodge's men didn't listen to him when he said, get into this fire that I just lit to save your lives, was because he didn't know them. Um, he didn't know their names. He was really aloof as a leader. He didn't have any kind of rapport with them. And they stopped for a second as he's bending over, lighting the ground on fire, saying, hey, jump into these flames and you'll be okay. And one of them said, to hell with that. And they took off and every one of those guys burned to death in the next couple of minutes. So knowing the people that work for you, this is what I want people to get out of this overly long story. You have to know the people that work for you. You have to know what their motives are. You have to know about their personal lives. You have to be involved with them. And if you're not, then during an emergency, they might not care to pay attention to you. Well, yeah. I mean, if you don't care about me, yeah, it's hard. Like, even if you don't care about your subordinates, if you sound like you care, it makes a huge deal. Yeah. Like, everybody wants to be noticed. Everybody wants to matter. Who's the greatest leader that you encountered when you were in the Navy? Ed Bruner. 
Tell me about him. He was my senior chief, and uh, he pretty much just, I mean, the term was sea daddy. He just took me under his wing, and I messed up a lot when I was in because I was that age or whatever and super defiant, but he saw something in me, and every time he stood up for me, it just made me work 10 times harder for him. And uh, if I could track him down, I would thank him for, you know, saving my ass because I try to get myself in self-destructive trouble all the time. And, and he, you know, he'd take me aside and kind of slap me around be like, dude, you, I know you're better than this. Like, and so just him as a senior chief taking time out of his day to give a damn about me made a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. As far as military goes, it'd be Ed Bruner for sure. Paul, best leader you've run into in the, well, in anywhere in law, in law enforcement. You know, it's interesting because from the day I was born, I was born into a law enforcement family. Right. Your um, dad's a legend. Yeah, he is. And uh, people don't let me forget it either, you know. It's it's a lot of some big shoes to fill there. But uh, growing up and watching him as a sergeant, then a lieutenant, then a police chief uh, over the course of a 30-year career and having people come up to me saying they could wish they could work for my dad. And, um, I'm biased, of course, so I would say my dad. Yeah. Um, That's it comes to it's mind for me. It's totally different, though. So you think you have a, a grasp on what the job is because you've grown up around it as a kid. And then all of a sudden you're in the driver's seat and one day you get kicked out on your own Yeah. and you're looking for leadership. Um, when I was still on the res, Tim Adelman, you know, he came over from Washington County, retired over there and came back to Eastern Oregon. He worked, he's still there as a police chief. You know, he runs a number of people and, uh, he was, he was really good to me. You know, he saw my strengths and weaknesses and he would assign me to these trainings, places across the country to develop those strengths and work on those weaknesses. Um, I still call him chief, you know. Um, and then here, man, I've I've been pretty dang lucky lately to have who I've had. You know, there's, there's one guy that reminds me of my dad quite a bit, and he's my current undersheriff, and his name is Billy Wells. And um, he's another transplant from the from the west side but barf yeah i know gross <laughs> but uh he's Sounds a great disgusting he's a great guy man and uh, he is a good guy yeah, yeah i look up to billy a lot and uh, it's of course, just a shame of course you know? joel and uh and ryan now you don't know ryan <laughs> but well maybe you know ryan but i don't think i do yeah he's uh he he did 30 years and yeah. uh, he came back to work to help out us and um actually bought mom and dad's house when they moved to montana not yeah. too long ago one of the things that has surprised me about myself, Paul, is that the older I get, the more law-abiding I become. And I thought it would go the other way. Okay. I thought I would just get worse. Because a, a lot of trouble goes like that. You know, you start out small scale and you just find bigger and bigger trouble as you go. But I've gone the other way. So I'm I'm happy to n- not know all of your <laughs> colleagues. <laughs> Yeah, and some people really go the other way. Sure, yeah. It's pretty amazing. But You know, another another leader that I've got to point out is, um, is Matt Dowden. I don't think I've ever talked about him to you guys. But he was a 
he was a captain. He, so he was our, our company commander um, when I was deployed. And I didn't always get along with Matt, um, which is normal enough, right? Like, you're not always going to get along with your boss. But he'd been he'd been on a tank deployment to Iraq, and now he'd come back. He was a real studious guy. He's from the south, from Louisiana. His family grows pecans. So they still do. And there was a time when we were coming back from a mission that was really long and really tough that we were going through this through this pass and it was a bunch of vehicles it was every tank in the company it was a bunch of trucks it's a bunch of support vehicles and support trucks and attachments this convoy line that was i don't know four or five miles long maybe and i've got a picture of of matt sitting in his tank in this little pass it's farther up watching this whole procession go by and we'd been awake for like 70 hours at this point um and that guy was was still alert and he was watching everybody come through and then a dude pops up out of this carez hole this hole in the ground tries to shoot um shoot me with an rpg and my tank was getting towed by by the recovery vehicle that was in my platoon so my tank was busted. The turret couldn't turn. Um, it, it was hosed. So we've got, you know, two vehicles tied to each other. This dude tries to pop up out of a caress hole. I, I see him. I see this RPG starting to come up. I snapped up my rifle, fired, hit him in the neck, and killed him. And uh, my gun also jammed. It was an M4, but the civilian variant is an AR. They don't do well in dusty environments. They really don't. And a tank is a dusty environment. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I was luck I was I was fortunate and lucky to to make that shot count. And you know, he Matt was able to to really command the column at that point and was doing a good job of keeping everybody moving. And then one of the vehicles in the front hits an IED in this pass blows up got another picture of this and uh you know the the dust and smoke column is going a thousand feet into the sky it's incredible it's like holy shit you know who do i know that just died and uh radio communication when you when you're getting ied strikes is pretty sparse so if somebody can talk um like you know the day before i had hit an ied and my radio communication went like this um Six was Dowden, so he's the company commander. My platoon was white platoon, and I was the one tank, so I was white one actual. Um, so I hit this idea. I've got a bunch of Aussies on top of my tank. I think I had a dog on there at the time. I'm up out of the top of the turret, hit this ID. But we're all okay. So I grabbed the radio, and uh, I said... Six white one actual contact IED out. That's it. Like that's communication. If your radio still works and you still work, and until you can get things sorted out, like that's all you need to say. And you know, right after that, it was like six white one actual contact troops left out. Like a lot going on. <laughs> Don't have time to explain. I'll get back to you. So we see this big column um, 
from this IED and you, you know, kind of feel the shockwave ripple out across the desert there. You're like, oh shit, what just happened? And then the column needs to keep moving, right? Because we just had an, an RPG dude try and kill us at the back end of the column. We just had an IED strike at the front end of the column. Obviously, they're trying to get us boxed in right here. And then you know that a big strike is going to come in and you've got two long exposed flanks because you're a column moving through the desert. This is a, the recipe for a bad situation. But this dude's dead. We're going to go ahead and bypass, you know, this blown up truck. I didn't know it was a truck at the time. So, and it might have been, might have been a tank. I can't remember. So we, we start to bypass and Dowden's doing a good job of keeping everybody moving. This is an extremely stressful and dynamic situation. We even had a first sergeant who started to hallucinate, and he ordered one of his gunners to fire something that didn't exist. Right? <laughs> wow. That's the level of stress that was occurring. Because this first sergeant, who was from like downtown somewhere, I think Baltimore, he, you know, he calls out that he sees a guy shooting at them wearing a tracksuit, <laughs> like not in Afghanistan, bro. But in his mind, I'm sure that's what he was seeing. So we start to bypass secondary ID. Another one blows up. Dowden comes off the hill in his tank and is driving straight into this literal minefield to get these guys out of their vehicles, get them on top of his tank, right as I'm coming past. And he drives over a third one. And all that blast came straight out from underneath his tank and straight into me. And that was that was the biggest part of the reason for the second time that I ended up in the hospital. But um, just the guts to do something like that, for him to be like, oh, my dudes are like super in trouble. I'm going to go get them. And I know exactly what I'm going into and I'm going to do it anyways. That That type of leadership, that type of courage just doesn't exist elsewhere. I have never seen it elsewhere. Recently, leadership means a lot more to me than it used to. Yeah. I think that, I think that people, it doesn't matter. I mean, the story you're telling or if it's the private sector, law enforcement, fire service, whatever, smoke jumpers. Yeah. People are looking for it and going back to your story about that leader, you know, getting to know all of his people. Um, I think that's the most important thing you can do. Yeah. Someday I think I'm going to be there and it's going to be very important for me to figure out what it is that makes somebody tick and what they respond to and what they're scared of and what they're good at, what they're not good at. And those, I think if you want to be an effective leader, um, you've got to take the time to do that because your people will notice it. Sure. Because we've all had those people over the top of us that didn't take the time to do that. Yeah. And it's it's palpable. Yeah. And it's hard not to do just like enough. Right. Yeah. And, and to point. add one level to that, also just like what it boils down to is standing up for, taking a bullet for, quote unquote, mm-hmm. the people that uh, that you that are under you that look up to you that that you lead like uh it could be as simple it can it can start with as simple as a bug as you know for example my son went to the hardware store and came back with what i absolutely didn't ask him to bring back 
and uh, he was telling me the story, and he was a little upset. And was I it was a girl? L- What's that? Did he bring back a girl? No, he brought back an inner tube that for his bicycle <laughs> that didn't. He like, but but the the takeaway for him and what I hope the bug was that I I picked up something that it wasn't his fault. And then I asked, well, what happened when you walked in there? Did anybody help you find the thing you were mm. looking for? Oh no, they just pointed and and so and at that point I just dropped everything I was doing, went to the hardware store and was pissed off. Like, uh, so what I'm hoping it all boils down to is that when you're in need, that key person steps in the way of whatever is causing a problem. And then like that, that's what creates these kind of people that do this kind of thing is, uh, God, I don't know exactly where I'm going, but a good leader it starts with something small as, as like your friend standing up for you or your dad standing up for you or something small. And mm-hmm. it just grows like it's grown into me. I can't stand to see somebody uh, who's being harmed or or whatever. It's just like yeah. I don't have a choice anymore. It's grown to be a monster now. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That's good. You know, you you deal with like all, all this chaos and stuff and come back and just enjoy simplicities at home. And it, it tends to, to make it all better. Um, I've been doing a funny thing for the last couple of years, which is every night before I go to bed, I bust out a pair of thermals and I count um, mice. And I've, I'm developing some interesting things theories um because i've got enough data now to support it but we're coming off of a new moon right now so it's been really dark and the darker the night the more mice are out huh if it's a full moon you're gonna see zero mice but if it's a dark sky um in you know there's nothing nothing but stars you know you can look up and see all the constellations you can see Orion's belt, you know, which is just a huge waste of space. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> just <laughs> freaking ends. <laughs> You're so happy right now. It's a good one, it's man. It's pretty good. It's true about the mice, though. Humans are, are, are visual things. And, you know, we would think, well, if it's a full moon and it's bright, that's when everything's going to be out. But that's just not the case. Oh, predators can see too. All the prey are, yeah. are are vulnerable to predators, and all predators hunt visually. For the most part, they hunt visually. So yeah, yeah. And I've been reading uh, like this. You know, if the moon's out, predators are out. Just darkness. It seems like, ooh, you know, kind of. And I've been reading this horror book, which I never do. And oh God. <clears throat> And I I'm, can't read horror at yeah, all. Well, it's so much scarier than watching it. I'm reading it I'm reading it in Braille and I can't something bad's gonna happen because I could just feel it. <laughs> that was poor execution. Uh, I, I'm I sorry. thought it was like, pretty where, good. Where did you get where did you get, where did you get lost in that one? That wasn't the plan. I knew it was yeah. <laughs> I did get lost in the middle. But I had to try. <laughs> I thought it was great. That's <laughs> oh, better than Up Dog. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
that's my three. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> nice execution. I'll be better prepared next time. Okay. <laughs> All right. You know, I was I was concerned, um, and my concerns were validated. So yeah, I, I expect more. Oh, I've been getting some just like annoyed blank stares from the kids because I've been trying this shit out all weekend <laughs> you've been, on them. Oh, you've yeah. been testing them out a little bit? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Well, you know, some some jokes land flat. <laughs> that's just how it is. It's like the guy that invented zero. Thanks for nothing. <laughs> Where's my scotch? <laughs> <laughs> Just see some of that, Captain. <laughs> Here you go, buddy. Thanks, doggy. Yeah. Have some of that on, on Major William Mahone. Well, thank you, Major. Well, gentlemen, I'm excited for uh, for Ribbage tonight. I think it's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming over. Yeah, thank and, you. And uh, I apologize in advance for the absolute beating that I'm about to put on both of you. Uh, good luck. <laughs> I'm coming. I'm, I told you good and early. <laughs> <laughs> behave yourself, James. I'm coming. <laughs> nice. All right. Thanks, fellas. All right. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share the show with a friend. You can also rate the podcast and leave a review. Your support allows me to keep doing what I love, which is meeting incredible folks and sharing their stories with you. For more content and photos, Follow the show on Instagram at Six Ranch Podcast or me at Six Ranch Outfitters. This episode was produced by Emily Brannigan with original music written and performed by Justin Hay. Art for the Six Ranch Podcast was created by John Chatelain and digitized by Celia Christofferson. Tune in every Monday for a brand new episode of the Six Ranch Podcast. I'll catch you next week.